Thousands of people have come to be blessed by the Christmas story, and I, I'm looking forward to the final one uh, this afternoon. Well, today we're going to continue our series from the Sermon on the Mount, and perhaps we should review a little bit because we are moving into chapter number six today. As we began the series in verses one through twelve of chapter Five, we saw the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes speak of the Christian's character. If one would want to know what is a Christian, then read the Beatitudes, because that is a description of the character of a Christian. And then in verses 13 through 16, he speaks of the Christian's influence. As we live out the Beatitudes, then we become people of influence in the world. We become salt in a world that is spiritually corrupt. We become light in a world that is spiritually dark. So if we are living the Beatitudes, then we become people of influence, which causes me some question. Is that the reason we have no more influence in our world than we do? As we live the Beatitudes, we become people of influence. And then in the following verses, 17 through 48 of chapter 5, he is speaking about the Christian's relationship to the law. How do we respond to the law? How do we relate to the law? And I said that is sort of a three-step process that we saw. First of all, there is the command that was given by Moses and then the interpretation of the Pharisees and then Jesus corrected the interpretation that the Pharisees gave. And so today we come to the subject of rewards. Now that is a, a subject of which we hear very little. There's not much said about it. There's not much written in the commentaries about it. Rewards. And I think that there is some conflict in our mind, perhaps some confusion in our mind, between grace and reward. So let me just define the two of them before we get into our text. Grace is a gift that cannot be earned. Vines defines grace as to endue with divine favor. The dictionary defines it unmerited divine assistance. So then when we are speaking about grace, understand that grace is a gift that cannot be earned. You do not earn grace. It is a gift. But then we come to rewards. And reward is something that is earned. In fact, the word itself literally means wages. It means to pay wages. So we're going to look at rewards today. Take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. 
But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will repay you. Now, I understand that there is a controversy concerning this subject, a little confusion concerning this subject, and many Christians are uncomfortable with the idea of rewards. One commentator wrote, It is very often stated that the reward motive has no place whatsoever in the Christian life. It is held that we must be good for the sake of being good, that virtue is its own reward, and that the whole conception of reward must be banished from the Christian life. Now, there are many Christians who understand rewards in that term. I believe that that is a misunderstanding of Scripture because the Scripture clearly teaches about rewards. I think it also is a misunderstanding of spirituality. There was one Christian who wrote, He would wish to quench all the fires of hell with water and to burn up all the joys of heaven with fire in order that men seek for goodness for goodness' sake and in order that the idea of reward and punishment might be totally eliminated from life. Okay, so I understand that. I understand that there are Christians who are uncomfortable with the idea that there are rewards within the Christian life. Here's the problem. Jesus very clearly taught about rewards. For instance, he says that there is a reward for those who are persecuted falsely. In chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward or your wages in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus said, when a believer is persecuted falsely for the sake of Christ, that his reward is great. He continues in chapter number 6 concerning almsgiving in verse 4. That your alms may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you or will give you wages. He says it also concerning prayer in verse number 6. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room. When you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. So there are wages, he says, concerning prayer, concerning almsgiving. Whenever we suffer falsely because of our relationship to Him, fasting, verse number 18, so that you may not be seen fasting by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, when one gives a cup of water in his name, that his reward is not taken away. Matthew 10:42. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, 
he shall not lose his reward. And then that is also what the parable of the talents is about. You recall the story. Jesus told the parable about a man who was given five talents, a man who was given two talents, a man who was given one talent. The men who were given five talents and two talents double what they were given. And Jesus said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. When it comes to the man who had the one talent, the Bible says that he hid, he buried the talent that he had been given. And the Bible says that Jesus took away from him, or in the story of the parable, that it was taken away from him, the parable, or the talent that had been given to him. So I don't think there's any question but that the Bible teaches about rewards. But why? What is the purpose for them? Why are they important? Perhaps they're not important to you. But why should they be important? Well, first of all, because fruitless actions are futile. The Bible says in Galatians 6, 7, Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Ladies and gentlemen, any action which has no consequence is meaningless. Would you agree with that? Any action which has no consequence is meaningless. Now, let's take that, for instance, concerning work. Most of you have jobs. You provide something. You produce something. You do something. And you're compensated. Now, if it were not so that you provided something, produced something, or were compensated, would you do it? Now, you might say, well, I'm not compensated that much. I might not. But the point that I want to make is that because you do something, there is a consequence to it. That's also true. Let me give you, maybe, maybe you would say, that's, well, that's not a good example because, because I'm just not compensated that much for what I do. So I, I, I wouldn't do it. But what about dieting? You know, you go on a diet. You start eating that styrofoam stuff. It all tastes like styrofoam. Now, why do you do that? To lose weight. You do it to lose. Now, if you do not lose weight, are you going to continue to do it? No. You're not going to eat that stuff. I mean, I went up on the third floor of Lindsay and saw those, that food that was up there. They had Bojangles biscuits and some of this stuff that they brought in. And I looked at it and I thought, well, I better not eat that. But if there were no consequence, I guarantee you I would be eating it. See? There, there is an action, and then there is a consequence to those actions. Well, now, why would that not be true concerning Christianity? Barclay said, unless the Christian life has an aim and a goal which it is a joy to obtain, it becomes largely without meaning. If there is no difference, then why would we do it? So any action, then, which achieves nothing is meaningless. There's another reason, and that is that if there is no reward, then there is no justice. Barclay wrote, To banish all reward and punishments from the idea of religion 
is in effect to say that injustice has the last word. That would simply mean that God does not care whether men are good or not. So I know that there are those people who are uncomfortable with the idea of rewards, but if there are no rewards, it means that your actions are meaningless, and it means that there is no justice. All right, maybe we need an explanation. We're talking about rewards, so what are we talking about? What are rewards? Well, they are not always material, as we are tempted to believe. See, we are tempted to believe that if I serve the Lord, then I'm going to be rewarded materially. Now, that was an idea that was very prevalent in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, goodness and prosperity were oftentimes linked. And if a person was a good person, it was expected that he would be a prosperous person. If one were not a good person then they would suffer. That was an idea from the Old Testament. And that is the basis for the book of Job. Job was written to rebut that idea. Now, you recall the story of Job. Job lost everything. He, he, was, he was a man of God. He lost everything. He lost his, his wealth. He lost his, his uh, children. He lost his health. He lost everything. And then his so-called friends came to comfort him. They must have been Baptists. I mean, we have such strange ways of comforting people sometimes. So his friends came to comfort him. First of all, there was Eliphaz. In Job chapter 4, verse number 7, here's his comfort. Remember now, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the upright destroyed? Job you know why you're suffering? You know why you've lost everything? What Eliphaz is saying is that you have lost everything because you're not an innocent man. You were not a good man. There's something in your life we may not be aware as to what it is, but that is the reason that you are suffering. But then fortunately there was Bildad, another friend who had some encouragement for him. In chapter 8, verse number 6, If you are pure and upright, Surely now he would rouse himself for you and restore your righteous estate. Now, Job, if you were a good man, if you were an upright man, then God is going to rise up and restore your righteous estate. That was a common theology in the Old Testament. And the reason the book of Job was written, to rebut it. And yet we still hear it today, do we not? I especially hear uh, preachers on television sometimes when they're talking, and it's if, if, you know, if you have faith and you're serving the Lord, then you're going to be wealthy and healthy. And uh, if you plant a seed in my ministry, you're really going to be wealthy and healthy. Or at least I am. But, you know, they, it's that same theology today that they had back then. And yet, that theology is refuted by the lives of many godly people. For instance, the Apostle Paul was committed to God. Would you agree about that? That Paul was committed to the Lord. He was a servant of Christ. And yet he suffered. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.11. To this present hour, we are both hungry 
and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless. Where's the blessing in that? He said, I am serving the Lord. I'm committed to the Lord. I'm homeless. I'm poorly treated. Where is the blessing that I'm supposed to have or that some say I'm supposed to have? That was Paul's testimony. What about the disciples? I think you would agree that the disciples also were committed to the Lord, and yet they suffered. The Scripture says in Acts 12, verses 1 through 3, Now about that time Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So we look at the disciples and see that they suffered. They were imprisoned. They were beaten because of their commitment to the Lord. The idea that if I am a good person, then I will be a materially prosperous person is not a part of Scripture. You see, the, 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 the blessings or the reward are not necessarily material, though they can be. But after all, reward is not the motivation for us living a godly life. One commentator wrote, A man who is always calculating his reward. This is good. A man who is always calculating his reward is thinking of God in terms of a judge or an accountant. And above all, he is thinking of life in terms of law. Folks, it is not the law, nor is it the reward that motivates. Though they are important, it is love that motivates. Men, why do you serve your wife? Now, I know some of you are scared of them, but I mean, other than that, why do you do it? Because you love them. Wives, why do you do some of the things that you do for your husband? Because you love Him. That, that, that is the motivation. We do the things that we do because we love this person, not because we have to. Well, the same thing is true with God. We serve God because we love Him. Someone has said, He who is in love is always in debt. That is true. He who is in love is always in debt. Now, I'm not talking about material debt, but I'm talking about if you love someone, you're always in debt to that person. Because that is the motivation for what we do. Well, what are rewards then? Barclay wrote, The rewards of the Christian life are rewards only to a spiritually-minded person. To the materially-minded person, they would not be rewards at all. Okay, let's think about it. There are rewards. Jesus said that there are rewards. So what are they? I think one of them is satisfaction. We all want satisfaction. We want satisfaction in our life. And when we serve the Lord, when we serve others, there is a sense of satisfaction that goes with that. George Herbert belonged to a group of men who played instruments. And once a week, they would get together at night and play together. They, they all looked forward to that. Well, on one occasion, George was on his way to the meeting, but he came across someone who was stuck in the mud 
And so he stopped to help the fellow. And as a result of, of taking the time to help the man, he was late to his meeting. When he got there, one of the musicians said to him, George, you missed the music. To which George replied, yes, but I'll have music at midnight. See, that, that's what happens when we serve, when we give of ourselves. When we serve, then there is music at midnight. Why do you think this choir, this orchestra, has spent all the time that they have to prepare for the Christmas pageant because they have the music of satisfaction? Why, why do you think our volunteers come down here every week and work? We don't pay them anything. Why do they do that? There is the satisfaction of serving the Lord and serving His church. Why do we have people down working with our children even while you are up here? Because there is the satisfaction of doing the Lord's work. So what are the rewards that the Lord gives to us? One is satisfaction. Another, I think, is that when we serve, then we are given more opportunity and more responsibility. And that also is a part of the story of the parables. Now, I said that the man who was given five talents made five more. The man who was given two talents made two more. And the Bible says in Matthew 25, 29, For to everyone who has shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. So those who had served faithfully were given more opportunity, were given more responsibility. Is that not also true with the student? The student who does well in their studies... Are they then allowed to sit on the sideline? No, they're given harder subject matter. And they move up to another grade. They move up to another degree. Perhaps, perhaps they become a member of the honors class or something. But they are given more opportunity and more service. The same thing is true with musicians. When they learn the basic piece of music, do they stop? No, they're given harder music to learn. So I think that's a part of it. That's one of the rewards. Folks, as you are faithful to the Lord, as you serve the Lord, God is going to expand your border. As you're faithful with what God has given to you, then He is going to give you more to honor Him. But when you are not faithful with what God has given to you, the opportunities and so forth that God has given to you, when you are not faithful with that, then He cannot trust you with more. So that is a part of it. Something else. I believe when we scripturally understand the teaching of rewards, then that helps us to have a better vision of God. If you understand that God gives rewards to His children, then you know that one day if you are faithful with what God has given to you, then you will hear Him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. I have had people asked me before, said, well, you know, if we are Christians and uh, we are going to be judged, we're not going to be judged for salvation, but we are going to be judged, what is the basis for that judgment? And it is my belief that God judges us based on our faithfulness with our spiritual gifts. That God has given to you a spiritual gift, at least one. If you're a believer, you have at least one spiritual gift. And I think that you will be held accountable for that gift that God has placed within you. 
Because God gave you the gift that he gave to you to edify the church, to build up the church. So I think that whenever we are judged as believers, then our judgment is based on our responsibility with the gift that God has given to us. So if we believe that God rewards, then we live in expectation one day of standing before him if we've been faithful to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And did you know that the Bible also promises that God gives rewards and crowns? In fact, there are five crowns mentioned in the Bible. And I believe that God gives us the crowns that he gives to us so that one day we will be able to lay them at his feet. There is a crown in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25 that is called an imperishable crown. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, there is a crown of rejoicing. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 4, there is a crown of righteousness. In James chapter 1, verse 12, there is a crown of life. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 4, there is the crown of glory. So, folks, here, here's what I want you to understand. Not, not so that you understand this in material terms. God may or may not bless you materially. Here's what I want you to understand is that there are rewards. They might not be material. They might be satisfaction. But if you understand that God rewards, then you live your life praying for and living in such a way that one day you hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, that you get one of the crowns and you give that crown to him. You give it back to him in worship. Well, all right, let me con conclude here. The danger of rewards. The danger of rewards is of doing right things the wrong way. That's the danger. Now, you do right things the wrong way. You see, whatever God gives to you, it is for the purpose of bringing Him glory. And when we look at this passage of Scripture, we see that they were doing right things the wrong way. Look at verse number 2 in almsgiving. When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Now to give alms was a good thing. In fact, the rabbi said, he who gives alms in secret is greater than Moses. But here was the problem. They did the right thing the wrong way. And as a result of that, they fell short of the ideal. Jesus said they did it to be seen. They were seen. That's what they get. Prayer, verse number 5. When you pray, you're not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Prayer, that's a good thing. They did it the wrong way. They did it to be seen. They were seen, and that was their reward. That's all they got. Fasting, verse number 16, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Fasting, that is a good thing. They did it the wrong way. They did it to be seen by men, and Jesus said they have their reward in full. In other words, that is all that they are going to get. They were doing the right things with the wrong motive. You see, folks, we do what we do 
Not because of duty, but because of love. We do what we do not to call attention to ourselves, but for the sake of others. And when we do, the Lord promises us His reward. The motivation is love, not reward. Now, let me conclude with this word. I've spoken to you about reward. I want you to understand that salvation is not a reward. Some people think that salvation is a reward as a result of me living a good life, of doing good things and so forth. No, it is not a reward. Salvation is a gift. It is a gift, not something we can earn. For by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God gives rewards to His faithful servants, but you earn those rewards. Salvation is a gift that God offers to those who receive it. Have you ever received it? If not, I pray that you would. Our Father, we come to you and thank you for the the understanding that you have given us of rewards, but Lord, we thank you so much for your grace. Father, I pray today for those who have never trusted Christ that they might, that they would commit their life to Jesus and receive the gift of eternal life and forgiveness. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand, the choir's going to sing, we extend an invitation to you. If you've never trusted Jesus, would you receive the gift? The gift of forgiveness, the gift of eternal life. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please. As they sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do.